So tonight we are going to be talking about Hanukkah. I have to take a break from Galatians this week because um, Hanukkah is really early this year and it is basically the 29th through December 6th, those eight days and uh going to kind of talk about what that is, is, is this group has kind of been learning a little bit about the, the biblical festivals and what they mean. This is one of them that one of the things that you're going to probably hear most often is, well, why do we do this? Because it's not in the Bible. Okay, this isn't one of those things in Leviticus that God said these are festivals, the Moedim of the Lord, the appointed times that you're supposed to do forever. So why, why do this one? Well, granted, it is not commanded for us to teach this in the Bible, but it is in the Bible, both in the Old and the New Testament. And you will see that as we begin here, but that's just kind of give you a little bit of a heads up of what you're going to hear. Um, it, it's called a number of things, but most commonly Hanukkah. Hanukkah is what it is in Hebrew, what an ugly word, but um, it means dedication. And so because of that, sometimes it's called the Feast of Dedication, and that is how you will see it labeled in the New Testament in John chapter 10, which I'll show you later. Um, it's sometimes called the F Festival of Lights. And Josephus, I didn't put his quote up here, but the reason Josephus calls it or it's mentioned and talked about by Josephus, who was a Jew, a historian at the time, pretty much a contemporary of Christ. He said that one of the reasons it is that, he supposes, is because of the great and amazing liberal or freedom, uh, li liberty, not liberal, I'm, I'm trying to find the word liberty, liberty and freedom that was gained. And so in essence what we are going to see based on the Old Testament Hanukkah is that there was going to be a liberty or freedom that would be brought because of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. There would be deliverance brought, foretold and prophesied about in the Old Testament at this time of Hanukkah. And so what we really are celebrating here at Hanukkah is deliverance. Freedom. In essence, you might say as Jesus got up in the temple and he proclaimed this is the year of freedom and he proclaimed liberty to us, that is what we're celebrating. The light has come into the world. We're going to talk about at the end that I believe this is when Jesus was actually conceived at this time. And like I said, we'll talk about that at the end. But nonetheless, the light of the world has come. And because of that, he has brought liberty and freedom to us. Why not celebrate that? To me, there is no greater thing to celebrate. And so, you know, if God tells you to celebrate these, that's great. But just because that there are other reasons that give us to celebrate from true history, why not? We don't have to make up history, which, again, I'm not bashing Christmas here, but... We literally had to make up that he was born in December. We literally had to make up history. 
to come up with something to celebrate. Whereas this is something that is true history that they had already been celebrating that Jesus is going to recognize in the New Testament. Why not? So anyway, with that said, again, uh, those listening, if you want to hear more, you go to patreon.com forward slash creation instruction for our, all kinds of things that you can listen to. But um, you want to know a little bit more about this, I really encourage you to read the book of Maccabees. I'm not saying Maccabees is in Scripture. Don't believe it should be. What I'm saying is Maccabees is good history. You want to know about the history of what was going on in God's chosen people, how he was protecting and guarding and and watching out for them? That's good history to study. Go to Maccabees and read it. Okay, if you have that Sefer book, it's it's in the Sefer. You can go read those. Let me forewarn you. It is not light reading. In some cases, it's pretty discouraging, down, out, just like awful things to read. Persecution. But let me tell you, it is something that is a pattern of what could be coming in this country. And I think those are things you need to be thinking about. It's not fun, but you have to be thinking about these things because that's how you prepare. And not only do you prepare that way, but you prepare by seeing God's faithfulness through those times. That's why you also celebrate this. To be reminded of His faithfulness and His promises through trials and tribulations that are patterned throughout history and foretold will come again. So our family, we've been doing this for, I don't know, 20 years or better. I don't know what it is. But I think my kids will tell you of all the festivals, this is the one that I scared the living daylights out of them more than anything. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. But at the same time, they loved it. But we will talk about things that we're going to talk about here tonight. It's a very confusing holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of emotion. <laughs> so the intent wasn't to scare them, but the intent was to show them God's faithfulness. And so, like I said, I'm going to keep it pretty PG here tonight, not going to go over some of the awful things that Antiochus did to the Jews and show you the amazing faith that these people had. But I'll tell you this, The reason that I would teach those things to my kids is because I see the handwriting on the wall right now in America, and we're about to live Maccabees. I truly believe that, because the Bible says it's happening, and we're seeing the handwriting on the wall, and so I want them to see how faithful God is when people stand up for the Word of God. One of the things that is so striking about the book of Maccabees is I probably would guess is if you go and read this, you're going to find yourself feeling almost like you're in America today and having feelings that I myself have to struggle with sometimes when I see Fauci and some of these absolutely evil, ungodly people in America today. There are times that I would like to see them rot in hell because I believe that they have killed family members or friends of what, because of what they're doing. Regardless of what your view is on that, 
you probably know some people that you have such a hatred for that you would like to see them suffer. And I have to fight against that sometimes. Let me tell you what these Maccabeans suffered through at the hands of Antiochus, this Greek government, is nothing compared to what we have seen. Or I should say, what we have seen is nothing compared to what they did. I mean, they tortured and murdered families just to get them to disobey God's word. If there was anybody who would have a hatred and want to see somebody burn in hell, I would think it would be these Maccabeans. I cannot stress this enough. The reason the rebellion is that I'm going to talk about takes place is not because of their hatred towards the Greeks. It had nothing to do with revenge. It had everything to do with standing on God's word and standing up for him, for his truth, standing up for, for Torah, the word of God had nothing to do with revenge. And let me tell you, the same attitude is what we should have. Revenge is not the attitude we need to have towards Fauci and any of them. What does Scripture say? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. He will get his. Those burning coals will come someday when the Lord has his angels take out burning coals from the fire up there in heaven and throws them down to the earth as we read in Revelation. We should be praying for these people. We should not have an attitude of revenge and hatred towards them. But what we should also have is an attitude of I will not compromise. I will stand on the word of God. That I'm going to stand against these people, not because of the people themselves, but because of God's word that I will remain faithful to. See the difference? When you read Maccabees, I want you to understand that. They were not fighting for revenge. They were fighting for God. And there is a huge difference. And we have to have that attitude. That is one thing you can learn from studying uh, Hanukkah. Now, I'm going to talk about Daniel a little bit. I'm going to assume that you guys know the book of Daniel a little bit here. But just to give you a quick rundown, remember Daniel has these dreams. And in some cases, he sees this statue with the gold head and the silver and the bronze and the iron. And we see that they represent four kingdoms. Babylon, then the Medes and the Persians, then the Greeks, and then the Romans. Then later in Daniel, we see he has other dreams. And they say the exact same thing, but rather than a statue, you see different beasts. The first beast is the Babylonian one. This, uh, basically a winged lion. And then you see the Medes and the Persians, where there was a bear. And, or I think it was a bear, but anyway, then you see the next one is a leopard, the Greeks. And this leopard has wings and it flies across the, the earth so speedily. We know now, looking back on prophecy, that that was, that leopard, winged leopard was Alexander the Great. And I'm going to show you that Alexander the Great began to realize that he was that 
in, in Daniel's dream as well. At least that's what Josephus is going to tell us. He knew. The, the Jews knew. It's amazing. I'll show you that. But the point that I want you to see is that Hanukkah was prophesied in the book of Daniel. We'll look at some of those verses coming up, but for now, know that when Daniel was writing those things in those dreams, he was saying there was a man of intrigue that was going to rise up. He is talking about the very things that happened at Hanukkah. Way back in the time of the Greeks and uh, 164 BC, basically. So, we'll give you more details as we go, but these events are happening in that 400 years of silence from the last prophet, the book of Malachi, until the book of Matthew when Jesus comes. There's 400 years of no biblical history, at least recorded in the Bible. But the book of Maccabees records it. We see other historical sources. Maybe it's not scripture, but we see good history telling us that God was not silent. Let me tell you something. We've had a 2,000 year period of somewhat silence. But God is not silent, is he? He has left his Holy Spirit. We see testimonies. We see him working in our lives. That's kind of what was going on there. In that 400 years of silence, God was working, fulfilling prophecies, and he was involved. And Hanukkah is an opportunity for you to see how he was working in those 400 years of silence. So I think there's a value in that as well. So, Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great is that third beast that we see in Daniel's dream. He is the third part of that statue, the bronze thighs of the statue in Daniel. If that's new to you, go read Daniel and look for the, the thighs and then also look for the third beast. Alexander the Great was also called Alexander the Third of Macedon. He became known as Alexander the Great because he conquered faster than anybody had ever conquered in the world before. He's only going to rule for 12 years, doesn't quite see his 33rd birthday before he dies. When he dies, he divides his kingdom up. And he did this, by the way. It wasn't like he died and then somebody else said, well, let's divide it up. He did this. And according to Josephus, he did it because of the prophecies of Daniel. He said, you are going to rule this area. You are going to rule this area. You are going to rule this area. And you're going to rule this area. When you go read in Daniel, you're going to see that this beast is going to be divided up and he has four horns. And these are the four horns. So Alexander the Great, as you're going to see here with Josephus, when he came, treated the Jews very well. Matter of fact, he even had the high priest offer sacrifices to God for him. Alexander the Great was not the problem. It's these four generals that replace him after he dies 
that are the problem. Specifically, one general. One little horn that becomes big, if you know your Bible prophecy. That springs up. What Alexander the Great was known for, though, I'm not saying he was a good guy. But what he was known for was the way he conquered places. He would Hellenize them. To be Hellenized was he would go and he would conquer a a country. And he would allow them to kind of live. But they had to kind of attach the Greek culture into their culture. One of the ways he would do that is they would build gymnasiums and they would do different things and they would you know, speak Greek. And therefore, they were allowed to kind of live, but under Greek rule, with Greek culture added into it. And so that was being Hellenized to become kind of a Greek. And one of the things that we have done for the last 20 years in teaching my children, they know the word Hellenized because every Hanukkah we talk and warn them about not becoming Hellenized taking the culture of the Greeks into our life, adapting to the culture of this world. So, as history shows us that there was a a guy named Jason, actually Joshua, but because he was Hellenized and many of the Jews had become Hellenized, he took the Greek name Jason. And he paid a lot of money then to become a high priest. Well, you, didn't, you couldn't buy your way into a priesthood. But yet they did. When I say you couldn't, I meant biblically it was wrong. But they did it. And so now you had these priests that shouldn't have been priests. Well, Jason was this priest for a long time until somebody came along with a bigger bribe. And then he became priest. Well, that ticked off. Jason, Joshua, and as a result, he went and led a rebellion and attacked some of these outposts, and then that caused one of these people who replaced Alexander the Great, Antiochus, the fourth he was called, to go and slaughter tens of thousands of Jews to kind of put down this rebellion. Once that happened, this rebellion happened, it was bad for the Jews. Up to that time, it was okay. Like I said, they could live their lives. They, they could even keep the Sabbath. They could circumcise their kids. They could do all of these things. But now Antiochus comes in and he says, Enough. You guys are not going to circumcise your kids. You will not keep the Sabbath. You will eat unclean things. And under torture and death, they would shove pork into their mouths and many people died just not to eat pork. One woman talked about in the book of Maccabees will watch all seven of her sons die in front of her as they refuse to eat pork. He even then will take and he sacrifices a pig on the altar of God, tears down the altar of God in the temple, builds his own altar to Zeus, which, by the way, do you know when Zeus is worshipped by any chance? December 25th, just to let you know. Same day that Ra is worshipped. It's the sun god, the, the king god in a sense. 
And so this is what uh, Antiochus IV does, this general that replaces Alexander the Great, who is in control of the area of Judea, Jerusalem. Well, let me show you what Josephus says in regards to when Alexander, just backing up a little bit, when Alexander came to Jerusalem, he goes through this long story and he describes this guy named Parmenio because Alexander comes in, he goes up towards the temple and he sees the priest standing there and he is visibly shaken by seeing the high priests. And everybody is shocked by this and quiet except for Parmenio, who comes up and has the guts to say to Alexander the Great, why are you so honoring of these priests when you are the one who receives honor? And this is what Alexander the Great said. Again, this is just what Josephus tells us. Okay, To whom he replied, I did not adore him, the high priest, but that God, that God, who hath honored him with his high priesthood. For I saw this very person in a dream, in this very habit, his clothing, when I was at Dios in Macedonia, who, when I was considering with myself how I might obtain the dominion of Asia, exhorted me to make no delay, but boldly to pass over the sea thither. For that he would conduct my army and would give me the dominion over the Persians. Whence it is that, having seen no other in that habit, and now seeing this person, and remembering that vision and the exhortation which I had in my dream, I believe that I bring this army, the divine conduct, and shall therewith conquer Darius, and destroy the power of the Persians, and that all things will succeed according to what is in my own mind. In other words, I'm not honoring these priests, I'm honoring the God that they serve. Now remember, these high priests, they were adored in you know, a gold mitre, all of these things, they were decked out. And so these people thought that he was in awe of their clothing, and he's saying, no, I saw this in a dream. I saw this very person and the very clothes God told me. And he says, now that I've seen this, I know I'm going to conquer Darius. I'm going to be that next kingdom. I know it. Okay, again, this is just history. So it goes on to say that Josephus, I'm skipping some of it, he goes and he follows the high priest to the temple and he has them make a sacrifice for him to God. And then it says, when the book of Daniel was showed him, wherein Daniel declared that one of the Greeks should destroy the empire of the Persians, he supposed that he himself was the person intended. The high priest showed him the book of Daniel, the very things that I've been telling you about, these, the statue and these beasts, and he realized, I'm that third beast. I'm the guy that's going to divide it up into four kingdoms, and that's why he did that. Just history, but amazing. And this is why I say the Old Testament talks about Hanukkah. Because the Old Testament predicted and prophesied this would happen. So when we celebrate this, we're not just making stuff up and it's not just some you know, Jewish holiday. 
This is a celebration and a remembrance of God's faithfulness and promises and fulfillment of prophecy. Not only in the past, but into the future as well. And by studying the past, you are going to understand what's going to happen in the future. And that's why I think Hanukkah is so important for my kids to know. Because you're going to look and see what happened that Daniel prophesied about. And you're going to see that Alexander the Great wasn't the final fulfillment of it. He was just one of the fulfillments of it. I've said this before, but Jews don't see prophecy as a one and done. They see as many antichrists as an example. Nero was an antichrist. They saw Nero as an antichrist. As a matter of fact, his name even added up to 666. And everything the antichrist was supposed to do, you can make a case biblically he did. But you see, that was just a type of antichrist. As was Pharaoh. As is Antiochus. As probably was Hitler. But all of them are pointing to the Antichrist that is coming. Antiochus is just pointing to the Antichrist that's coming. You want to know what to look for? You want to know what he's going to do? Here's a good example to look at. Antiochus. Well, let me show you here first in the New Testament where we see Hanukkah celebrated. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 23, it says, Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter... And Yeshua was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. It was winter. And what were they at? They were at the Feast of Dedication. Now, it doesn't technically say Jesus is celebrating the Feast of Dedication, but he came to Jerusalem during that time. And it's interesting that he's in the temple area because this is the festival of when they are celebrating the Feast of Dedication. Rededicating the temple, as you'll see. So it's mentioned here in the Bible. That word, Feast of Dedication, is literally Hanukkah. And so we see Jesus is recognizing and taking part of a celebration that the Jews are celebrating there in John 10. So this Daniel, just to kind of show you where some of these things are talked about, it's talked about in chapter 8, it's talked... Like I said, there are many dreams, but it kind of culminates in Daniel chapter 11. When it says, then a mighty king, that would be Alexander the Great, will appear who will rule with great power and do as he pleases. After he has appeared, his empire will be broken up and parceled out toward the four winds of heaven. There are the four generals. It will not go to his descendants, nor will it have the power he exercised because his empire will be uprooted and given to others. Then Daniel goes on to describe another person who would succeed Alexander the Great, one of these that go off to the four winds. In Daniel 11, verse 21, he says, a despicable person. This is Antiochus. Okay, At least looking back, but I think there's a despicable person to come in the future. A despicable person, and then it goes on and it says, his heart will be set against the Holy Covenant. It isn't really as much about power as against a hatred of those who are under the covenant of God. That's us, by the way, Christians, believing Jews. Verse 31, his forces will desecrate the sanctuary. Remember, he went in and he 
sacrificed a pig on the altar, do away with the regular sacrifices, and they will set up an abomination of desolation. An altar of Zeus was set up in the temple. Remember what Matthew chapter 24 says? And so when you see standing in the corner of the temple the abomination which causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand that cycle. Antiochus will do the everything that the Antichrist is said to do. And now we see Jesus himself saying, almost, I'm going to paraphrase, you remember what Antiochus did. You watch, when you see that happening again, no. Flee to the hills. So, this, to a T, and I mean to a T, everything Daniel says fulfills or is fulfilled by Antiochus IV. And he reigns from 175 to 164 BC. Now, <clears throat> one of the things that he does as well is he dismantles the walls of Jerusalem. Um, he takes all the golden vessels and the treasures out of the temple. He does stop all the Jewish sacrifices, just as was prophesied here as well. Um, just, like I said, torturing, mutilating, killing, doing all these things. He goes after all of those who disobey him in not obeying God. The things that he goes after aren't important. It's like, you worship God? No. You can't have a holy book. You don't say his name. You eat unclean things. You do not keep the Sabbath. Those are odd things to go after. By the way, it's very interesting. When you read in Revelation chapter 17, Daniel Joseph was talking about this today, the mother of harlots, which is Babylon and whatnot. You see in Revelation it says that this mother of harlots, what does she do? She goes after those who obey God's commands. And she teaches them, basically, sexual immorality and the eating of defiled food, sacrificed to idols. Isn't that interesting? That's in Revelation of the future, and yet this is exactly the things that uh, uh, Romans, not Romans, Acts chapter 15 that we've talked about a number of times, when the Gentiles are brought into the church, what they're told to stay away from. The very things this mother of harlots who has a spirit of Jezebel, is going to do to the saints in Revelation chapter 17. Side note that I find interesting, just an interesting thought in my head. If I look at the future of what's going on in our country right now, you know what I think it's going to be? Those standing up for the word, for truth. That's going to set people off. And what does it cause them to do? They hate Christians. Why? Just because you're Christian, because you stand up for truth and because you worship God, they hate you. And it's because of that that you're going to see persecution happen in America because you stand up for truth and you won't tolerate it. And that's what's going to end up happening here too. So. Daniel eleven thirty six says, Then the king 
This Antiochus shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above all gods and speak blasphemies against the God of gods. Remember what Thessalonians talks about, this man of lawlessness. We see that he will speak boastfully. All the things that the Bible speaks of the Antichrist is exactly what he does. He magnifies himself. He sets himself up as God. As a matter of fact, then Antiochus IV no longer becomes known as Antiochus IV. He becomes known as Antiochus Epiphanes. You know what Epiphany means? God manifest. <laughs> Not just aha. Uh -huh. He sets himself up as God. And he does whatever he wants. He speaks blasphemies against God. The king called himself Antiochus Epiphanes. He made people bow down to his statues and at the punishment of death if you did not. So, in the meantime, while these things were going on, there were Jews then that said, fine, I won't be Jew. I won't keep the Sabbath. I won't, you know, uh, eat clean. I won't keep the festivals. I won't have a holy book. I will take on the culture. I'll take on a Greek name. I'll go to the gymnasiums, which is what he did. Now, when we talk about gymnasiums, we're not talking about the gyms that we call today. These were lewd, naked, immoral places. And what happened is many of the Jews became Hellenized and immoral compromised their faith because of fear. They were fearful, so they compromised. I can't help but ask the question, which we do every time at Hanukkah, if this starts happening to you in America, what are you going to do? Are you going to be Hellenized? Or will you stand up for truth, even under the pains of death? Some will fall. Look in Daniel 11.32 as it continues to talk about this Antichrist that seems to be Antiochus as one of the foreshadowings of. By smooth words he will turn to godlessness those who act wickedly toward the covenant. But the people who know their God will display strength and take action. This is what we teach our kids every year at this time. There's a time coming where you are going to have to display strength and take action. To be willing to give up your life, to stand and to take action. Remember, at first everything was going really well for the Jews and then it turns. You know what the Antichrist, we've always probably heard this, right? You have this seven-year covenant that is made. By the way, there was a covenant made here too, but there's a seven-year covenant that's made, and in the midst of the covenant, the Antichrist is going to break that covenant. In other words, the Christians of the world are going to love this guy, whoever this Antichrist to come in the future is. Going to love him. I've always said, if you recall back here at the beginning of COVID, Trump made me nervous. I was not, and I say it again, I'm not saying Trump is the Antichrist, but what I'm saying is he will look just like that. Because I'll tell you, I've seen a worship of Trump in this country. He made a covenant with Israel, brought everything back there. But I could just see all it would take is 
one day and he would turn on you. That's what the Antichrist will look like. That's what was going on with Antiochus. Everything was great. I can keep my religion. I can do my things. We've just you know, allowed this Greek culture to come in and then one day, boom, you were being arrested. Same thing. By smooth words, he will turn to godlessness. It isn't going to be abrupt. It isn't going to be that obvious. It's by smooth words that he gets people to turn to godlessness. It's like, oh, this is loving to allow homosexuality. Okay? It's loving to do that. It's hate speech to not allow it. So with smooth words, this is what Antiochus did. So Daniel 11.32 here again, just kind of talking about that focusing in on the, the being strong and carrying out great exploits. Who are those people? Well, they became known as the Maccabees. Who were they? They were untrained farmers with pitchforks and sticks, basically. Nobodies. And God used a bunch of nobodies to conquer really what was a world power or a portion of a world power at that time. There was a guy named Mattathias. And he gathered these rebels. Now these weren't rebellious people in the sense of what I've grown up in the sense of rebellion. What do you call it, Steve? I like your term. Righteous disobedience. That's what this was. You see, they weren't rebellious because they're not going to let me wear clothing of a certain type of clothing. They were rebellious because I'm not going to compromise God's word, His commands. I'm going to keep the Sabbath. I'm going to obey His word. And so they were righteously rebelling. That's what they were doing. There is a difference. And so what they do is they go and they overturn the pagan altars. And they killed all of those who were sacrificing, even the Jews that were sacrificing on them, those who had compromised. What we see is the same thing that we saw back with the Moab and Phineas. Remember there was an Israelite who brought in a Moabite woman and God said, you are not to be with foreign women. And Phineas, so zealous for God, takes a spear, runs it through the back of this guy, through his back, and through the stomach of the girl that was in front of him. Sticks them both like a shish kebab with a spear. Now you might think, oh, that was terrible. But you know what God says to him? Because he was zealous for my name. There will, he was blessed, his family was blessed, and there will always be a priest in his line because of that. That's the kind of thing we see going on here, a righteous rebellion. I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. Yeah. So, he circumcised, he, he said all the male children have to be circumcised, just like you know the commandment said before Yeshua came. They fled to the desert, taking their families, and they went and they hid in caves. 
Well, the Syrians marched out against them, found many of them, and burned them in their caves. A lot of them, over a thousand people of them were killed. Sad. But you know what? Truth is, God will allow some of us to die. But we don't need to fear death. I would rather go that way than go of old age living under compromise. And there will be blessings in that. We know where we're going. We don't need to fear death. And I was talking, was it Mark? I don't remember who we were talking with here earlier. The only way that they can't control you is when you do not fear death anymore. That you don't hang on to your house, your home, all of it, none of it makes any difference. Then they have no control over you anymore. That's why Hebrew says we are not of those who shrink back and you know, are destroyed, but we are those who believe, who have faith and are saved. That's the lesson of Hanukkah. Stand up. And I'll tell you what, this Hanukkah is a time that I teach my kids, this is it. This is what we rebel against. Righteous rebellion. You stand on the word of God and you will not compromise and you will not shrink back from death. It's okay to die. You can see why I freaked them out. But I think they would all say it was worth it. And you know what? Sometimes it isn't fun to think about those things and to go through it, but, but they thought about it. And then after that nervousness goes away, you begin to realize, I'd like to think that my kids are probably not like a lot of kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not always good ways, maybe. Huh? So, Mattathias only ruled for, or, or kind of led this army for one year until he got sick and he died. You might think, God, why? You know, but, well, again, no one ponders to think that the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. I don't, he was spared. He died. It's okay. And then what did God do? He rose up his son. His son was called Judas Maccabeus. And as a result, he became known as Judah the Maccabee or Judah the Hammer, they called him. Because he would go and attack these Syrian outposts, boom, and they would go and flee back. And it was just like whittling away. You'd have, you know, 10, 15 soldiers here. They would go and attack and then flee back, come at night and flee back. And just little bits at a time, by attacking all these outposts, they couldn't find them. They couldn't kill them. And eventually, they win. How long did it take for them to win? I love this. 2,300 days. Does that number ring a bell for anybody? Daniel 8. How long will it be until the daily sacrifice is restored again? How long until the desecration of the temple is avenged and God's people triumph? He replied, 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the holy place will be properly restored. Happy Hanukkah. 
Guys, you can't write this stuff. This is God's hand in history, and this is a pattern of what's coming. It is historically accurate. So the Maccabees take back Jerusalem. They take back the temple that has been defiled and desecrated by Antiochus. And as the story goes, they only found one little jug of oil. Now, the Bible commanded that the oil in the lamps in the tabernacle had to be lit at all times. They burned 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They only had enough oil to burn for one day. And to rededicate this temple and to purify it, it had to burn for eight days before they could get more. It burned, that one day's oil burned all eight days until more could be brought. And then, uh, so God miraculously kept the lamps burning, basically. Now that's the story that you will hear. I want you to know there is absolutely no historical evidence that that ever happened. Maybe it did, but there's no historical evidence that it did. That is why at Hanukkah, oh shoot, I was going to have my little Hanukkah. Do you want to go grab it? We have what is called a Hanukkah, which is a menorah, but rather than having seven lampstands, it has nine. Eight that you light and an extra one called the Shamus or Shamus one that is used to light the other ones. And so you remember and you use oil, you remember God's faithfulness and all of that. That's you know, typically what goes on. So yeah, I, I taught my kids this story. I teach, maybe it is true. I don't know. It really doesn't matter. I personally think that the reason they did eight days from what we do see in some historical records is that they were celebrating Sukkot at this time. Because during their fighting, they didn't get to celebrate Sukkot. And so as a result, when they took the temple back, they said, let's celebrate Sukkot. And they celebrated eight days because they missed it. I don't know. It doesn't matter. There are no things in the Bible that tell us exactly what you have to do to celebrate Hanukkah. We just remember what God has done and what he's going to do. And so here is our Hanukkah. You've got the Seamus one here that's supposed to come out. And then your eight days. I can tell you what we do. We made our own traditions. And I would encourage you guys to do the same. Like I said, this book, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> The Family Guide to the Biblical Holidays is a great book to help you know what to do. They have readings for each, eight, or, you know, each of the eight days. They tell you, all of these stories that, you know, I'm telling you here now from history and different things like that. And so we take and take a portion of this. We didn't teach all of this in one night. One night of Hanukkah, we would teach them just about Antiochus coming in. The next night, we teach a little bit about what, what uh, Antiochus did. Then, you know, we would talk about Judah Maccabee the other night. And Throughout the eight days, they get the whole story. Sometimes we read a book that was a children's book that would kind of talk about that. But our own tradition is we light a candle every night. So on first night of Hanukkah, we've got one candle lit, that's it. But every candle had a verse and a theme. We would say, the Lord is the light. 
we would say the Word is the light. The Holy Spirit is the light. And there'd be a verse that would talk about that. I am the light of the world. He, and my kids will attest, it's a whole page of verses that by the end of eight days they know. And so night one, we go over this verse, we describe that verse, we explain what that means to us. And I have different themes every year. One year, the theme might be about the Antichrist, what to watch for and how God will deliver us from him. Another year, it was just all about Jesus being the light of the world, right? And so there are many times we read in Scripture, do our devotions or whatever, and our kids will say, oh, that was our, one of our Hanukkah verses. So every year, they get to know at least eight Scripture passages. I'm not going to say verses because sometimes there are two, three, or four, or five verses that they remember. I've got like lists of them here that uh, if somebody wants to look at, you can just kind of see as an example. But that's our own tradition. The Bible doesn't tell us what to do. We're not worried about doing things. Oh, it has to be done this way and you have to have an eight candled or you even have to have one of these. We do it to put our focus on Jesus and his promises and his faithfulness. And through that, doing this the last 20 years, our kids know the story of Hanukkah and they know what to look for and they know that it's going to be okay. And I think that Hanukkah has prepared my kids a thousand percent more than Christmas ever could or would. We put it all the focus on the Lord and what he has done. This isn't about the Jews. It's about God's faithfulness to the Jews. As a matter of fact, they have a theme verse from Zechariah. Not by might, not by strength, but by the Lord's. I'm failing it now. I can't. But basically, not by my might, not by my strength, but by the strength of the Lord. And that was their theme of this whole time. They realized they weren't winning because of their strength. These guys were uneducated, not uneducated, but um, untrained farmers, and they were defeating a world power because God was with them, because he was honoring them standing up to truth. Let me tell you, you guys, when you stand up for truth, you might lose your house. You might have to flee to a cave. You might even lose loved ones. But I'm telling you, God is going to bless you. You will be blessed when you stand up for truth and do not compromise. Well, Josephus says this, And indeed it so came to pass that our nation suffered these things under Antiochus Epiphanes according to Daniel's vision and what he wrote many years before they came to pass. The Jews of Jesus' day knew that was prophetic. And Jesus simply said, we're not done with it. You watch when you see the abomination that causes desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. We're not over. It's not done yet. So keep celebrating. Keep learning. So... Here's Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Zechariah 4, 6 is that theme verse. 
So, um, the Maccabees ended up ruling Judah then until Herod the Great, or Herod, took over in 37 BC, which, by the way, was another prophetic picture that the Messiah was coming when the scepter would depart from Judah. Judah controlled Jerusalem up until 37 BC. When the scepter, the power, departed from Judah, the time was ripe for the Messiah to come, according to Scripture. So it's also kind of an important uh, timeline there. So in John 10, going back to that, it's just interesting when you go and see what Jesus is preaching during the Feast of Hanukkah, what he's preaching about. He says in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I mean, put your, the context of the Feast of Dedication and what the Jews are talking about right now. The Maccabean revolts and those that followed him, that heard his voice and listened to it. He says, I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. I don't think it's an accident that's what he was preaching at the Feast of Dedication. Verse 37, If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though you believe not, be not. Believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Believe the miracles. Okay, Know that I am who I say I am. And so these are the type of things that he's preaching during the Feast of Dedication, during Hanukkah. So let's just kind of hone in a little bit on the future application of this. We've seen the past. We saw what happened. But now let's, knowing that, connect the dots to the future. I've kind of given some hints to some of it. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and he will exalt himself over everything that is called God, might even call himself so-and-so epiphanies, or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, just like Antiochus did, proclaiming himself to be God. This is after Antiochus, but it reads like it was history describing Antiochus. Many are going to turn away from God, just like many of the Jews followed Antiochus because they were Hellenized. A big theme of what I would teach my family was this, as I said before, don't be Hellenized. How are we being Hellenized? Well, we take our, the culture of the world upon us. Why do you celebrate Christmas? Because you've been Hellenized. You added God to it. That's fine. I'm not saying that you're pagan. I'm not saying that you're not following God. If you celebrate Christmas and you're doing and you love the Lord, I'm not saying you're going to hell. But what I'm saying is you're doing it because you've been Hellenized, not because of the truth of scriptures. Easter, why do you do it? Because you've been Hellenized. Why do our churches look the way they look? Because we've been Hellenized. And I know that we've gone around the table and, and asked our kids, you know, what are some ways that you've been Hellenized? 
Maybe the things that we watch on TV that we think nothing of because we've adapted to the culture and have become Hellenized. Any other ideas? Throw them out. Yeah, music, for sure. It's the culture. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I I mean it goes so far even our vocabulary again what it means to be a Christian. I mean there we could go on and on and on. Anything that's not biblical where we have allowed the culture to dictate what we do and think is a hellenization. And many will turn away from God because they've been Hellenized. Because they think, oh, it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter if you obey God. You know Jesus. You're saved. Says the mother of harlots, as Daniel Joseph said today. The mother of harlots is the one who teaches you holiness doesn't really matter. You're already forgiven, so forget holiness. It's okay. You see, we need to stop and think about that. What a great opportunity during Hanukkah to take one of your days to get your kids to think about how they've been Hellenized, to keep them from being Hellenized, or limit it. Um, we see in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 2.8, the Lord will destroy him with the brightness of his coming during Hanukkah. It's, it's the festival of lights. Uh, we've had that memory verse because we know, listen, God is going to fight for you. No matter how bleak it is, even if it means you are at being persecuted to death, God is going to be there by your side and the battle is won in Jesus Christ. We need not fear, even in death. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 17, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. One of the themes that we often do is this, is that they were rededicating the temple. Well, don't forget in the New Testament, you are the temple. And so we take Hanukkah as an opportunity to rededicate the temple. Examine our temple. What have we allowed to come into our temple that is unholy? What have we done that needs to be cleaned out. And so that's a big theme of Hanukkah. As God has said, I dwell in them and walk in them among them and be you separate. Because you are the temple of God, don't you dare look like this world. Don't you dare be Hellenized. You're separate. If you go downtown to Walmart today, are people going to know that you're different? Are they going to know that you're separate? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Again, this is 2 Corinthians 6. So here we're seeing we're to be separate. 
We should honor the Sabbath. We should purify our temple. We should refuse being Hellenized. We should trust that it's not by my strength, not by my works, but, but by what God's going to do. And perhaps be ready to flee to the mountains. Yeah, well, yeah, I know. <laughs> it's going to stink for us in Nebraska. Yeah. Flee to the prairies. So. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a little crowded, isn't it? The point being, though, is I do think it's just like that proverb says that a wise man sees trouble and takes refuge, but the fool continues on and suffers for it. Listen, God has warned us there's trouble coming. He's told us what's going to happen. We see in our society, wow, this seems to kind of fit. Oh, that seems to kind of fit. Trouble's coming. You better be prepared to flee. It's okay to flee. I agree. I agree. Uh, there's no question we've been Hellenized. We trust the government to take care of us, not, not God. We trust medicines to take care of us. Now, again, I'm not saying that... a Christian principle, faith over fear, while you've got a mask. Yeah. That's my point. My point is that that just screams fear over faith. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Matthew 24, again, I've kind of been quoting it a little bit, but when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, Jesus is clearly telling us Daniel is talking about a future event here. Antiochus, though he fits perfectly, that's not the final show. He says, Stand in the holy place, whoever readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee to the mountains. By the way, where did the uh, Maccabees flee? to the mountains, to the caves. Let them which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Don't worry about your possessions. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes, or woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, nurse. But pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. Oh, good thing Jesus warned us that we should pray that it doesn't happen on the Sabbath because we don't keep the Sabbath. Hey, I guess that problem's solved. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Oh, man, I'll tell you, I could do a whole message on this. And by the way, I was being sarcastic for you listeners who on the Sabbath thing, but it's interesting that there's a, a theology out there, preterists, that are going to teach that everything that is in Revelation has already happened back in 70 A.D. Yes, I'm telling you, you can make it fit like a glove. Just like you can make Antiochus fit like a glove, you can also make Titus fit like a glove. Because when Titus came in and, and conquered Jerusalem... He, too, sacrificed a pig on the altar. Titus? Yeah. Titus the I mean, oh, yeah. No, 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 no. Roman Emperor Titus. Titus. Gotcha. Yeah. Roman Emperor Titus. Yeah. 
Yeah, he did the exact same thing. You can make it fit like a glove. But that's because that there are patterns that ultimately go to the fulfillment of the final one. Let me tell you, there shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world. I just don't think that when Titus sacked Jerusalem in 70 AD, that was worse than the Holocaust. I don't think that that was the worst thing that has ever happened throughout the history of earth. No, there's something coming that's going to be worse than the Holocaust, than Titus, than Antiochus Epiphanes. So it is not over. This is future. P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-T. It does, a lot of amillennials are preterists because of that, yes. A lot of amillennials, they say that the millennia, there is no thousand year reign, we're in it right now. And many of them will say then that yes, Revelation was fulfilled in 70 AD. Yes. Part of it is that they're going to say that everything is getting better and we are bringing and ushering in the kingdom of God. And so things will get better and better and better. Which, by the way, this whole Trump nonsense, a lot of that theology has kind of helped form this. Because the idea is, yes, because the idea is Trump is going to be our savior and then we've got all of this plan from Gasara and Nasara, which is going to take all the gold and all the wealth of all this of the world, and they're going to redistribute it us to us, us as Christians. And then we Christians and conservatives are then going to take over the world, in essence. And so that idea is they're they're kind of like this. And so I know some Christians right now who have this view, and they're big into that idea that things are going to get better the kingdom of god is coming to the earth now and they will cite different things where you can see you know i don't even know but they they show me statistics of things getting better all i know is i don't see it getting better okay i i never used to have to lock my doors i could have a gun in my back window i i mean my kids could go and play out on the streets you know it's not the same world that it was even 20 years ago, let alone 50 years ago. Well, but, then, yeah. The whole, are we going to be here or going to be raptured? But then in verse 22, that says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened, which makes yeah. it sound like we're going to be around for it. <laughs> right? Or, I don't know. Well, I don't know. There's different ways of viewing that. I, yeah. I yeah. <laughs> Uh, I kind of take it this way, that those days are cut short, meaning God's not going to allow it to happen, but it's only going to be for a certain, certain period, maybe that three and a half years. And if it wasn't for that, nobody would survive. But because it is short, it'll happen. Others think that time is getting faster. I've talked about this with my kids. I remember when I was in high school, a year was forever. I, I know why. That's eight. No. <laughs> I know why. Why? Yeah. 50th is a lot smaller than 
And that does make sense until you ask an 18-year-old today. It seems, and maybe I don't know, but I've been asking a lot of high school kids today, they think a year goes by fast. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe that's it. I don't know. I just know that some even say that literally time is being changed so that it is going faster. Not not necessarily 24 minutes, but the way it's perceived. I'm not necessarily promoting that view by any means. I'm just saying that that's another view that's out there because of that. Anyway. Um, so both Daniel and Jesus warn that there is going to be a great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world. Um, this is in Scripture also called the time of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation. And in Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, this is what he says, I will go and return to my place. Jesus is going to basically go back to heaven, ascend till they acknowledge their offense and seek my face. In their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. I believe one of the purposes of God allowing these trials to come upon the earth is for that very reason, to call his people back to him. Because we won't listen unless bad things happen. We can live our life as if, you know, whatever, until a tragedy happens, and then all of a sudden it just changes your focus, and now you've got laser focus on the Lord all of a sudden. History has shown this. You read the book of Judges. It shows it over and over, that cycle. Things are good, and then they get bad, and then they seek the Lord. They, they are good, then they fall away, then they get bad, and then they seek the Lord. It's just it's human nature, unfortunately. That's why I always tell my kids, learn from the good things. Let's not have to get hit with a two-by-four before we learn these things. It took a couple times sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, last thing to talk about here is this. I mentioned it before, but I do believe that Jesus was conceived on the festival of lights. That the true light that gives light to all men, came into the world here at Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. Because I'm not going to go through all the details. We've talked about it before uh, for tabernacles, but Zechariah ministered in the eighth course of Abijah, and that is around Savan 1218, which is basically Pentecost. And it seems that Zechariah was ministering in the temple at Pentecost. When is Pentecost-ish? Pentecost, uh, it's usually around May or June for us. So you take, let's just say May, June, July, August, September, October, November, December, January, February is nine months. So, John the Baptist, then you have six more months for Jesus. So then, you, where do I go? February, March, April, May, June, July, August. And I kind of started in May. I probably started in June. But August, September, which is basically tabernacles, Sukkot, when the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Now, 
There are those who are going to use this and they're going to say that the eighth course of Abijah was during, I don't know if they say it was Sukkot or another, another month. And then you're going to end up with December. The catch is this. When is the eighth course of Abijah? What month? Well, we don't know biblically. We just know that Chronicles tells us the order. But then we see the histories every time the temple is rededicated. When Solomon rededicates it, they start this priesthood up again. Okay, When Antiochus destroys it, they start it up again. So according to Jewish history, we have an idea of then when the eighth course is, starting from that point, and it puts us in the May-June. So some people are going to say that I think it was at Sukkot because John the Baptist is ministering in the temple and they think he's going into the most holy place. But it, he's burning incense on the altar, which is not in the most holy place. So just know that that is out there. Um, here's just kind of a little guide showing you here the eighth course of Abijah. But ultimately, it doesn't matter. Okay? My point is, does it matter if he was born on December 25th? No. I'm going to celebrate his birth. I'm going to celebrate the biblical holidays. Christmas is not one of them. There is a, a celebration for his birth, and I believe that is Hanukkah. Uh, yeah, Sukkot. Thank you, Sukkot. Even if that's not true, doesn't matter. I'm going to celebrate the light coming into the world. The date doesn't matter. My problem with Christmas isn't because that's not when he was born. My problem with Christmas is the pagan origins of it. And just even this last week, a pastor I love had posted something in regards to him maybe even being born in Christmas and all of this, and that there's no evidence that this has pagan roots. There's all kinds of, all you got to do is just go search it. Don't believe it just because somebody says there's no evidence of that. Go look yourself. You'll see there's evidence of it. But because I see God turning the hearts of people in a lot of ways to understand the festivals, which I think is a fulfillment of Zechariah 8.23, and people grabbing on to the commandments of God, realizing we've been duped and we've been Hellenized, that there's kind of a, a knee-jerk reaction by many theologians out there trying to disprove that these festivals have any meaning. Or really, it's not disproving the festivals have any meaning. They're trying to prove that the pagan holidays have meaning and that we're supposed to take them back. And it's okay to take back these days. Great, take them back, but also follow the God, God's commandments in Leviticus and keep the, or in Corinthians. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Not out of obligation, not out of works righteousness, but out of a desire in the heart to know the Lord more, to know his word more, to understand why he's doing the things he's doing more, and be blessed.
So have the right attitude about it, and it'll be okay. So like I said, I, my problem isn't when Jesus was born. My problem is, why is December 25th the birthday of Jesus as well as every sun god that was worshipped throughout history? On the day, basically, where you know we get the equinox, the, the sun, the days get longer. There's a reason for that. And you just can't deny that historically. That's my problem with it. So, anyway. With that, we'll close. And next week, Simeon is graciously going to teach us. There he is. And so thank you for doing that. The next week after that, we are going to be doing um, Galatians part 8, which will get into the you observe days and months and seasons and years. And this is another verse that's used against us a lot. You will see what this is really talking about there in Galatians. So let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you for giving us reason to celebrate that we are free and that we have been given liberty and freedom by your son, Jesus Christ. That though the devil can come up against us, he can forbid us to do what you've asked us to do, we don't have to listen. And we don't have to fear because we know that he who is in us is greater than he that is in this world and we will not shrink back. We will stand up for your word. As you say in Hebrews, for you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Lord, if that's what we have to do, may you give us the strength as you gave those Maccabeans the strength to resist this world and the Hellenization even to the point of shedding our blood, to giving up our homes as they did in Hebrews. They gladly accepted the confiscation of their property because they knew that they had better and lasting possessions. Let us fix our eyes on that truth. In the name of Yeshua we pray, amen.